threats are not new to business. Whenever there has been a plentiful economic prize, there have also been pirates. In the swashbuckling days, the captain and the crew were charged with protecting the merchandise on board. The difference today is the sheer volume of cyber attacks inbound to companies. Carolyn Crandall, the chief security advocate and CMO at Ativo Networks, describes the attack as an enormous wave. It's like a tsunami wave coming at you and you're sitting there going, okay, I'm prepared for waves and a little bit of rain, but most companies are not prepared for the tsunami wave that's coming in. From a company's vantage point, facing this tidal wave is daunting. What's even worse is that the tsunami consists of nameless, faceless cyber attackers that are on the lookout for one key thing, data. Running away is a reasonable instinct, but there's nowhere to flee that the wave won't impact. There's no escape. The scarier fact is that it's not really one wave, but instead it's a series of tsunamis. Something must be done to survive. Rather than fight, the answer is to strategically fight back. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Carolyn explains how companies must shift from a reactionary mindset to be more aggressive. This requires pivoting from simply monitoring for attacks to strategizing and disrupting them. She describes that to withstand the power of these attacks, companies must disrupt and automate. Enjoy this episode. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today we have the Chief Security Advocate and CMO at Ativo Networks, Carolyn Crandall. Carolyn, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me here. All right, right at the gate. Can you tell our audience what is Ativo Networks and what does it do? Sure. Ativo Networks is a cybersecurity company, and the company specifically focuses on the attackers that are inside the network. We hear about all these mm. breaches that are happening today. And it is because most companies fundamentally focus on building tall moats or deep, deep moats, tall walls around the perimeter of their office. But as we know today, um, everything is kind of virtual, distributed. And so you really need eyes and ears inside the network. And so Ativo is a company that focuses on how the attacker attacks, the lateral movement, the privilege escalation, the credential theft activities. And we find really fun and creative ways to understand what the attacker is doing and to stop them from being able to do that with some uh, fun things around deception technology, around misdirections, and some for the Star Trek fans out there, data collecting technology that's uh, out there as well. Okay. I'm, I'm super into this all right now. The, like, <laughs> the way you described it already, I'm like, hey, I want to know what those secrets are. But before we get to that, you know, you have an interesting title. Uh, I want people to understand exactly your role because you've ha- you've actually have two really interesting titles. You were the chief deception officer, which is really cool sounding, right? And chief security advocate today. Give us an idea of what your principal roles are because you've been the CM, also the CMO for the company. Is like that's like an angle that you guys use to. I guess, communicate better Ativo Network's value propositions, kind of coming in from a a different perspective. I'd love to hear the reasoning behind the title. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's funny for the marketeers that are out there, you know, you spend your whole life trying to get up to that CMO, the chief marketing officer title, and you make it there. And then all of a sudden people stop wanting to let you present and advocate for the company. It's like, ah, I don't want to talk to anybody from sales or marketing. And I'm like, but wait, like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm technical enough. I, um, you know, was employee number 26 at the company. I've been the company's spokesperson. I spent a lot of time evangelizing and educating the market on the technology challenges, trends, and solutions for them. 
But the minute that they go, oh, you're CMO, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> so in fairness, what I've done is I've had this dual title for the dual role, which is, is one, obviously I do all the marketing activities for the company, but I spend a good amount of my time out there educating the marketplace, right? You know, what are the cybersecurity threats? What are the trends? What are the changes? What do we need to do differently to prepare? And of course, um, being able to present the Ativo uh, solutions and what the company can do to address those challenges and, and have a lower risk profile. The chief deception officer title, love that title. I hated to kind of somewhat retire it, but the company, the legacy, the heritage of the company was in deception technology. Mm. And it was fantastic because deception is a really, really creative way and um, efficient way of detecting those attackers, right? You stand up a bunch of decoys, you trick them out, and they engage with something thinking it's real and it's fake, and you get a very high fidelity alert of an attack that's going on. Well, as the company started to study how the attack removed and the shift of what's happening in you know, 2021 into 2022 is it's all about identity, right? So it's the credentials and the privileges. And so the company introduced a new portfolio of products that were on the visibility and on the detection path for identity. And so using deception in that manner didn't seem like it was quite the right fit. So I thought, okay, well, probably time to outgrow and, uh, you know, like that, that, you know, favorite pair of jeans when you were a kid, it's like, well, all right, it's time to, <laughs> you know, time to maybe change, you know, change things up a little bit. And that's where the chief security advocate came in because I am advocating for a better cyber defense. And um, it's what I spend a lot of my time doing like here today. Okay. So that makes total sense. I get what you're saying. I like the chief deception officer too. It sounds super cool. The threats that you guys are looking at today, one of the things that you had just mentioned briefly was the fact that the most threats and compromises are now coming from inside the network. And they start often with some type of identity compromise so that someone gets basically credentials, right? I have credentials to a user inside the network, giving me access to whatever. Right. It could be any host of things, right? Or I guess the critical information is just in the eye of the beholder. I guess information can be critical to anybody. You know, We've heard about all these attacks. We've heard we've had cybersecurity experts come onto our show. Give us an idea of how these, you know, how these things are happening, and also why they're so hard to detect. Because it does make sense to me if I have someone's, let's say, two FA. Most people have their two FA connected to their cell phone, but if I have someone's cell phone and I have their login credentials, I go in. I don't see why anyone would think I'm doing anything wrong. Like that's, <laughs> I don't know how you catch that. I'd love to hear your perspective on why that's happening a little bit more, and also. How do you begin to stop it? Yeah, yeah. And, and you, you really are circling around all of the issues is that the detection tools that are there today are to prevent that additional compromise of the, of the system. And so there's a whole bunch of technology that's out there around endpoint protection, you know, antivirus and endpoint uh, EDR solutions that are out there. And they do a fabulous job for what they're designed to do. However, they were never designed to detect credential theft, the misuse, the privilege escalation, and the attackers know that. And then you have some really uh, innovative tools that were put out there, like Bloodhound and Mimikatz and other, other things that were designed for good, but the attackers also discovered they can be used for bad. And so what's happening is, is the attackers all of a sudden got very equipped with the way to find um, exposed credentials. So if I'm on the endpoint and maybe you haven't done a really great job of protecting your credentials or, or patching and I get your credentials, there's very little technology out there aside from Ativo and a couple others that is designed to look at that legitimate credential being used in an illegitimate way. 
And that's what's kind of skating through. And so what people are trying to do or have been trying to do is, is match behaviors going, well, I don't think Carolyn normally goes to this place. So maybe she shouldn't. So maybe I should raise an alert. But if you do too much of that, you get alert fatigue and people stop paying attention. Too many false positives. Right. Too many false positives. And if you do too little of it, the attacker slides right through. And it also takes time. And if you look at an average ransomware attack only taking five days today, you don't have the luxury of time. And so you need something accurate and you need something high fidelity. And so what has changed in the way that things are um, being done is, is, yes, you can hide your real credentials among fake credentials out on the endpoint. So deception lures that'll breadcrumb them back into a, a server for notification. So that is one. But what's happening now, because... If I, as an attacker, do have your credential, I can go straight to that application and get access. Or maybe I use that credential to hop to another place, compromise that system, get more credentials. And ultimately, there's something called Active Directory, which is the directory services, the main phone book, the main GPS. If I get what's called domain control of this thing, game over, right? Now I can get into anything I want. Now I can change your security policies. Hey, I can lock you out, mm -hmm. right? I can download mass malware for a ransomware attack and go encrypt all your systems. There's all kinds of bad things that I can do. And the effort to rebuild that is tremendous. I mean, you think back about the, the Merck incident that happened, their whole environment got compromised so bad and they didn't know what to plug back in. The story I heard was that they actually had to take an active directory that had been sitting offline somewhere and then transport it out to the ship and be able to restore things that way because they could not dock the ship mm. without control, computer control. And we know everything is, is controlled by computers these days. Yeah. They could not bring that back into port without having that directory structure and, and guarantee that they had control of that ship. And so they had to rebuild. So you think about some of the downstream consequences. It's not just data compromise or threat or extortion that can happen. It's actual disruption to operations. And if somebody in this case got control of a ship and in another case might've gotten control of a drug and tampered with it or something, you really need to make sure that you, you don't lose that active directory control. And so you kind of break it into three pieces and you go, let's protect those credentials at the endpoint so they can't get stolen, they can't get misused. You protect the privileges that you find in Active Directory. And then, oh, no, we just decided we went to the cloud. And now what do we do? Because it's all about entitlements. And if you look at what's happening, there's a massive over-provisioning of entitlements that's happening in the cloud today. And you take your kind of very complicated, dirty environment of Active Directory, you put it into the cloud, and then you add non-human entities, which are extensive. They could be multi-X, what a regular human user would use. And all of a sudden, your hairball just got bigger. And so this is why credential protection, entitlement exposure, identification, both the visibility and detection of, of bad things happening is so critical for companies right now. And it's, it's just fundamentally different. Everybody always thought, you know, we can just lock everything out. Yeah. And we're not worried about this stuff in the middle. That doesn't work anymore. There's too many breaches. We're numb. We see a breach in the headline every day. We're numb. And why is this happening? You got to protect the soft, gooey middle and, and credentials and, and active directory and those entitlements is the sweet spot. Yeah. Let's go through some of those in just a moment. By the way, while you were talking, I just did Google up ransomware attack and just sure enough, Bangkok Airlines just went down by Lockbit ransomware. They said they refused to pay and the guys followed through on their promise and deleted significant amounts of data. You know, and I, and I think about these situations. 
Okay, so you refuse to pay, or like, let's say as a company, you refuse to pay the ransomers or the bad actors, they delete data, or they do what they're going to do. But aren't they still in your system? Like, how do you recover from that? Like, you do you have to rebuild all your systems? You got to find them, purge them? Is that something Ativo helps with is like detection that they're in there? You know, I kind of get an idea of, because you, you have an interesting seat where you get to oversee many cases, some of yours, some not yours. But the whole point is, you know, what, what next? Like, so you get hit, but it seems like the problem is still present, whether you pay or don't pay. Like the problem is still there. Like, I do I have to rebuild my system. Like, where is the, where is the source? Has it already multiplied? There's a lot of questions to answer. I'd love to hear your perspective on. So what happens? Like, if this does happen to you, then what? Yeah, and it's a it's a perfect reason to run tabletop exercises that will will let you know what does happen. Are we really prepared? Because it's like, okay, we have this nice little playbook. We kind of put it to collect dust in the closet, and then all of a sudden things hit the fan, and you're like, oh my gosh, what do we do? And and it is complicated because even if you say we're going to basically not pay, we're going to rebuild, that exercise of rebuilding can cost millions of dollars because you've got disruption of service, you've got potential lawsuits afterwards for disruption of service. And we saw that with the pipeline, right? You know, they didn't, and well, they did, but then they still, even after paying, they had to, they had all these problems rebuilding and it took them a long time because they turned yeah. off things that nobody wants to turn off anything in a utility environment because you disrupt services and people want sure. services and they want human safety and they don't want to disrupt any of that. But, but no matter what you do, pay or don't pay, and, and I don't advocate for paying, but but even if you pay, it's not a guarantee that everything is going to come back to operations. And what we're seeing more and more is the, the double extortion piece of it. So let's say I'm a law firm and I compromise your files and I, I okay, you pay me and I turn them back on. But now I go to your customers and I start extorting them because I have their data mm. and maybe they don't want that lawsuit information revealed. And guess what? As an attacker, I'm going to reveal it unless you pay me. So now you've got this nice little uh, money train that's going on. So it really becomes important to not let that happen. And ransomware is a really interesting thing because everybody's numb. Everybody says they've got ransomware solutions for everything, but they happen all the time. So why? Yeah. Why is this happening? And it's happening because the getting inside the network especially when you have big companies at scale, a lot of the tools just simply don't scale to be able to handle things at volume and at mass and at speed and what we're seeing, you know, right? If I'm a big ransomware attacker and I'm going to take a long time to really quietly exfiltrate data out of your organization, I have to conduct myself in a, in a certain way. If I'm just going to lock you out and encrypt everything and I don't have to worry about quietly exfiltrating data... I can conduct my attack in a very different way and at speed. And this is where those average dwell times or time it, it, it takes to discover them is, is going down because guess what? It's not even necessarily the defender that discovers it. It's the ransomware guy that sends the note that says, your system's been locked, you know, contact us this way <laughs> so that we can have a discussion about the nice ransomware check you're going to, your Bitcoin check you're going to give me. So it's happening because systems are not built for protecting the credentials and the privileges, right? And, and I don't think there's any ransomware attack that I can think of that has not exploited Active Directory in some way. And so you would think this would be a screaming issue on any CISO's priority list because it is exposed. And if you're moving to the cloud, there's entitlements and misconfigurations and other things that are going to get exploited that are going to give access to those databases or other things. And so... People have to take a step back and go, okay, it's a problem. 
Clearly, even an investment with an EDR solution does a lot of good things, but doesn't necessarily stop this. So what's my next level of defense? And a lot of people have the confidence in identity protection systems and go, well, I just turned on MFA, right? I am good now. I've got single sign-on. I got MFA. I'm really good. Yeah. But there's still a gap because those systems make sure that only you get access with your credentials to the applications. But if I'm an attacker misusing your credentials, it doesn't stop that from getting access to that. So you need a different kind of technology that sits in the middle that says, look, I'm going to bait you with fake credentials. And again, if you go to scrape everything off my, my system, I'm going to detect that you're stealing the, the deceptive lures as well. I'm going to use that cloaking technology, which is really cool because you can hide credentials, those Active Directory objects, and even the data that the attacker is looking. You can just cloak it. You can make it all hide it and disappear and deny the access. So even if you have credentials and you're using a, another tool to come in and try to access it, the systems are now smart enough to know that mm, that's not right. You can't, you know, you can't access that with that tool. You're not the, even though you have the right credentials to the to the right application. You're not using the right mechanisms to get to it. So so you can shut that all down. So now you have a layer of defense that says can't find the credentials I'm looking for. Only see decoy stuff. So now you got double double defense there, and now I've hidden the data too. So. What is a ransomware attacker going to do now, now that they, they can't get to anything, right? And the defender's been tipped off because they're going to trip up and hit some kind of a deception object or, or a fake data that stood up because it's all they can see. And it looks real. And they hate that, by the way. They hate that because they're tools they trust, right? What, what do you mean my tool just lied to me? My tool can't lie to me, right? And, and we have this argument with the, the red teams all the time. It's like, no way, I just took over your domain control. Look at everything that we did. And we're like, yeah, here, here's everything you just did. You know? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and, and, and it reveals everything. So it does take modern and new technology. You can't do this in the traditional way, but you don't also have to be a sitting duck either. There's, there is technology that will disrupt the attacker tool set, disrupt their attack, and put the defender in a much better stance to, to protect their organization. You know, you hinted at this uh, regarding the identity controls, and I was thinking about an article I recently read. You probably you might have read it as well. Have you read about this uh, this ringleader of phishing extent, uh, scams named Hut? He go- he went by the t- name Hush Puppy. Yeah, he just got busted. Like he's in serious trouble. But yeah, so what they were doing was they were getting access credentials to companies, but then they would do what would be a normal thing, which would be like they would set up a new vendor a new payments, but because they were doing it under authenticated credentials that had this right. And, you know, like, for example, like this show is sponsored by Salesforce. Salesforce has a lot of vendors. If a new vendor record got created and it was being paid like $20,000 a month, I don't even know if Salesforce would notice that that was happening. Yeah. That's not on a financial so, level. Yeah. Not on a financial level. Yeah. But. I mean, that, that fraud is a little different. And, you know, it's like the same thing. You're not going to stop the folks in Nigeria from calling up and saying, hey, you know, I've got your kid or your distant <laughs> uncle and you know, send me $20,000 to get him out of jail. And as much as we try to educate and go, just, you know, don't. And yeah, I'm not, I don't want to get into a whole big thing about uh, financial accounting practices and payments and validation, but I think that, you know, most CFOs have a list of controls that make sure that there's contracts in place and there's validation and there's, there's POs and there's other things that, that, you know, have validation of services before things get paid. But 
not every company is that sophisticated and the, the attackers find the ones that are that are not. And the only thing we can hope now is, is that they're going to get caught. Yeah. Um, you know, I love some of the stories like Colonial Pipeline, where they were able to claw back some of the the Bitcoin. Yeah, I saw that as well. Yeah. So you're like, yay, go, you know, <laughs> go, let's, let's stop this. And uh, the government is treating it very differently. I mean, this is the first time we've seen it kind of come up as an issue that, you know, and getting the big tech leaders together going, hey, we need to do things differently. And so I'm I'm glad that cybersecurity is treated on the same level, um, you know, as as any other major threat to our society and our our economy, because it it has the power to be as disruptive as any other form of, of physical attack, maybe even worse. Yeah. And, you know, what you were talking about earlier about the ability to recognize uh, people and what, like, should they be doing what they are doing? In your experience, have you seen where people are taking over identities, but they're, they're actually just doing what that other person would normally do? They're just trying to slip something in there. Meaning, is it always that obvious or like has the software AIs, have they involved to the point where they're like, hey, I can tell by login position. I can tell by IP address that this isn't the person that, that said they were going to be. I'd love to kind of give, if you could explain some of the, the detection techniques that are now, that now are you know necessary since as you mentioned before, the bad actors keep getting more sophisticated themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so many different levels of technology. I mean, you pick your number. I mean, 3000 plus different security vendors. I'm sure somebody is trying something of everything um, at this point. But I think it goes back to if you look at what's called the cyber kill chain or MITRE attack um, has MITRE with their attack framework, or I guess I don't like to call it framework, but their guidelines is is really, really helpful for understanding the you know, techniques and tactics that an attacker is going to use and what they do along each phase of the cycle. And it's very complicated, right? A cyber attack is complex and it's sophisticated and you've got, you know, whether it's an APT or ransomware attack, you've got to plan not only for the, the simple, you know, it's no longer the, the kind of spray and grab ransomware attacks, but they do still happen. Right? But most people are like, yeah, I've got enough that will deter that. So let's start to walk through those attack cycles and, and make sure that as you look at, say, a MITRE attack framework, I'm not just loading everything at the very front end. You know, I'm, I'm looking at all of the steps throughout and I'm looking at, okay, what are the different tactics the attacker is going to use and what are the techniques that they're going to use so that I can then map my tools up and say, do I have holes in my security stack? And that will help organizations go, oh, gosh, you know, I've got 10 that are all trying to, you know, prevent the initial compromise. And I have things on the other end that are doing data loss prevention, but I don't have enough in the middle looking at lateral movement and privilege escalation or maybe looking for those credential or active directory attacks. And the other thing that's coming out of that is is it's not just the detection, because obviously there's there's, um, behavioral detection, there's signature base, there's pattern lookups. You know, there's obviously deception-based tactics that are network-based. There's all kinds of tactics for detection. But what else will stop that kind of further upstream is the visibility piece. So how can that attacker get from that endpoint with that credential to Active Directory or to their target application? And there's now some really neat visibility tools that will show you the attack path of the attacker or the entitlements they would use through the cloud to get to the things they're looking to get to. So step one is the right tools that take all of that data because it's there, but most teams 
can't in a manual way first absorb it all, correlate it all, understand it all, and then take action on it all. So use those attack or, um, those attack surface management tools to get visibility, shut down those credential and entitlement attack paths as, as step one. And that will mitigate some risk. The next is going back to that Active Directory and going, hey, how can they get, like if I have admin credentials out on an endpoint or shadow admins out on an endpoint, mm -hmm. I don't want them to be able to, to be a stepping stone for the attacker. So how do I remove them or mitigate them? And sometimes there's things that have to be left open. And sometimes, you know, if you look at Active Directory and all the different policies and the turnover of people, that sometimes you just end up with a hairball. And so people don't have the time to understand them enough. So they just kind of, well, risk profiles, well, I'm going to ignore them. But, you know, even things like, you know, duplicate credentials, or maybe uh, somebody with admin credentials leaves the company, mm -hmm. right? And they, their credentials get left in other tools because people are afraid to turn them off because they're going to break things. Or maybe they try to turn them off and they break things and you turn them back on, you roll back to make sure that, that you know, you keep operations running. And then you get busy and you're like, oh, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. But nobody's yelling at me, so I'm not going to get to it yet. You know? And so it just takes time. So, so having the visibility to know those attack paths, to know those exposures that are there. But also everybody goes, I patched AD, right? I patched it. I'm, I'm good. Well, that deals with vulnerabilities. It doesn't deal with the exposures that you get from misconfigurations and, and other things and how you set things up. And so... Taking that, like, so for example, with the TiVo, there's over 200 checks that the company does in their AD assessment software. And that's really valuable because you can do 200 checks like that. Like it's all continuous versus if you thought about a human doing that, how often, and then they still have to correlate it. It wouldn't happen. Right. It wouldn't it just happen. happen. <laughs> it just, it wouldn't. It's not going to happen. <laughs> and so you, you, you add that to the mix and all of a sudden now you've got an unprecedented level of visibility and it's continuous where you go, Hey. Let me look at this. And then, you know, kind of back to that depth of things. Now, can you see things at the, the uh, user level, the device level, and at the domain level? Because again, different layers of, of complexity and risk. Now, if you've got visibility to all of those things, you can go, okay, now I'm going to peel off my high severity stuff. Now I'll get to my medium and then my low ones. I, you know, I'll get to when I get to, but now I have a hierarchy of how to respond to things. Plus, I have a metric for my board, right? You know, or my management to say, hey, you know, how do I know? Like, am I at risk? Like, I listened to the solar winds hearings and I listened to everything they said, and they said that these attacks couldn't be stopped. You know, what does that mean to me? Like, what, what am I supposed to do now? Or, or, or are we safe? And, and I don't think most CISOs will feel safe and going, ah, everything's good. But, <laughs> you know, but now they have another tool at their, at their disposal that says, Hey, I can run, I run these assessments. Here's my health score. I'm getting better on my health score. I'm mitigating the high severity stuff. Now it allows them to have a conversation about, um, and, you know, management loves a metric, right. You know, and, and they love it. It is a trended metric. They can do that. And then they can also talk with the identity teams who may go, yeah, yeah, I know you guys are worried about the security wise, but I don't have time to tweak that. And you end up with this circle where things don't get done, but now you have something that's very trackable going, Hey, you're not fixing these things and our risk score is going up. You, you have to change them. And, and it get, becomes a little more compelling. So, you know, one of the things that's happening right now, you paint a great picture of how challenging this can be, is we're actually inarguably the most challenging time ever. Remote work has greatly expanded, but now we're in the great resignation. 
uh, we keep reading about how, and a lot of our people that are on the show talk about how there's a lot of turnover right now in, in business in general. So you're adding new teams, you're losing team members, as you just mentioned, like, hey, they might've had these critical credentials. You're adding new people, providing credentials, uh, certainly. And then you also have very fast moving development teams that are constantly spinning up microservices. They need access to this data point. They're going to, you know, you don't know you as a TiVo, you don't know that I just got assigned the new financials product for, you know, Capital One. And now I need account numbers, you know, like, and so I need access to account numbers. Someone's got to provision that for me. You know, how, how do you view how this space is changing? And then of course, because you're your systems have to be right in the middle and monitor all of all of what's happening and understand what's happening. When I, I you know, I, to me, it's mind boggling because so much is happening right now. It's like mm-hmm. I don't know if you, I don't know if a person could recognize a period, let alone an AI or something else, <laughs> unless you're directly work with that person. Like, oh, this is Carolyn. I know she's allowed to have credit card account numbers now. But outside of that, it's tool systems. Everyone else in the company, who knows what you're supposed to have? Like, oh, I don't know what she's supposed to have. How are you guys attacking this challenge, or is it becoming more of a challenge, or have you guys engineered the software already to to handle that kind of like scaling operation? Yeah, well, and your your point is is dead on. It there is such a volume of information and data, and we talk about the need for threat intelligence, and it's another hot trend right now. But being able to consume that intelligence and do something with it is probably where things are getting a little bit hung up right now too. There, there is all this data maybe tracking and trending, and but how do I know? Like I, I've got to get to the needle in the haystack. And if you think about it all the way back to, to military time where you know, certain you know, countries, they were just outnumbered, outflanked. And what they did was, is they used you know, decoys, deception, and strategy to be able to get ahead of that, right? So, so can you compete with, all of these different attackers and sophisticated attackers. And you've even seen stories of, you know, hey, it's like you're not getting attacked by just one organization. There could be many organizations trying to attack you all at the same time. And if they find one weakness, you may not find you're under attack from just one, you know, one attacking entity. It could be multiple. And so um, you have to take a, a more strategic approach. Instead of monitoring every little individual activity that's going on, mm-hmm. let's look at techniques. Let's look at the techniques that they use for a ransomware attack and let's disrupt that. Let's look at the techniques that they have to to apply and the tactics that they would have to do to cause the disruption that they're they're trying to cause and and try to get in between those processes um, instead of trying to consume, sort, digest all the data. So I think the way that people can stay ahead. I mean, yes, if you have a huge IT staff, you know, and security team, you probably could chase most of the things. Like, you know, I was listening to a Bank of America summit a couple of years ago and they're like, yeah, we get a million attacks a day. And you're like, holy cow. <laughs> like, oh. And, and there, you know, and, and he said this with a certain calmness, but, but he's got a fleet, an army of, of people on his security team to, to watch for this stuff. And, and they've got the tools to kind of parse through it. But in addition to that, you, you have to take a step back and go, okay, maybe not everybody has the manpower to do that or the sophisticated tools. So what do you do instead? And you go, okay, what's the most critical point of failure? And it's funny, we just, we bought a new house and there's a list of things that need to be fixed up and do it. And you kind of go, okay, what are the most critical things? It's like, well, I don't want the hot water heater to go out, or I don't want the air conditioning to go out. Cause it's like hundred degrees here. You know, it's, you know, you look at the things that would cause you the biggest, you know, biggest pain point and focus on those, you know, focus on those things first. 
And it's somewhat the way that like deception and misdirection and concealment technology works, right? You know, you're going to wrap deception around your most critical assets. You're going to hide the most critical assets. You're going to, um, you know, get visibility to the attack paths they may take to get to those things. And you address those most critical things first, right? You know, and, and I'm not talking about your, your fundamental block and tackle. I mean, yes, you should have hygiene and yes, you should have security training for all your people. You know, don't click, you know, you know, you should do all that stuff. But the next thing is, is what's your line of defense once they're in and make sure that you're making some investments there. Cause, cause that really is the Achilles heel of most organizations is that they just don't have the right scalable tech that sits behind that initial compromise to stop the attacker from moving laterally and getting to what they want. So that would be my recommendation is, is just look at the architecture a little bit differently. Don't try to monitor and chase everything. Understand your visibilities. Yeah. Use, use the, the deception decoy. Use the concealment and misdirection. It can be incredibly powerful. And um, you know, again, there's all different kinds of things that you can monitor and look for. And if you've got the team and the tools to, you know, go through the SIM and the logs, that's great. But let me give you another example. So with a, if you use a SIM and you want to look for failed logon credentials, um, and it was really funny because I had joked around with some, some guys that were at a pharma company. It's like, who would like to sit around all day and look at failed logins from your company? <laughs> and they both kind of went, and they both kind of went, that's our job. Oh no. <laughs> and I felt so bad. I'm like, oh my gosh. And then, so I was doing some coverage for our web administrator and I was watching, we, you know, we're a security company, we get attacked all the time. So I was watching all the attacks and the, the traffic and the failed logins and the, the everything. And I'm like, oh my God, this sucks. <laughs> like, you know, this is not fun. And, um, but anyway, so, so the point is, is that, that you can tune those things so that you can have the Ativo technology look for those failed logins, feed it back to the SIM, and then, the, then you can help correlate it to other things to determine is it something that needs more investigation or, or not? And so, you know, again, people really need to look at, at ways that the tools work together, share threat intelligence, automate things to be able to scale as well. Cause it's, you know, trying to do that stuff manually is just makes for a really long day, <laughs> a really long day. Yeah. 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 Now the way you describe it, just, you know, the way I look at it is, um, I guess it's multifunctional. I don't know how else best describe it. Like it's becoming, security is becoming this thing where you're plugging into every single tool. Every single tool has to also agree with you. Someone has got to oversee this. So like, this is, I guess it's a double-edged sword, right? Like on one hand, we know that APIs, we're in an API world. Many companies are going to use many interconnected products. These products and services are going to be in the cloud. They're going to be on-prem. They're going to be in-network. They're going to be off-network. We know that that's happening. That's never going to go, that's not going to change, right? Are you seeing like with this openness, it's a more shared responsibility of security or is it still people or, you know, you know, I always think back to like when I got certified in AWS and they said like their shared responsibility policy was pretty clear. Mm-hmm. Once it leaves this wall, that's your fault. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> like, so, like, so true. Like, yeah, <laughs> like, that's your like. We're not here to help you. Like this is your fault. It, it clearly said it's like, oh, you lose a password on your side. That's your fault. Not our fault. Yeah, not a problem. <laughs> Yeah, same thing. You misconfigure your firewall and let everybody in. No, it's not our fault, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it is hard. And more and more of those shared security models are, are you know, coming into play and they matter. Um, 
IoT everything, right? You know, I think about the number of yeah. IoT devices, you know, that are in any network or, you know, our own personal devices that we have. And now we're all connecting from our homes and, you know, not everybody segments their networks and not everybody doesn't let their kids play and download the latest, you know, <laughs> whatever that is infected with everything. Oh yeah, It's, you know, there's just so much that's, that's out there. That's why it's, the wave, it's like a tsunami wave coming at you and you're, you're sitting there going, okay, I'm prepared for waves and a little bit of rain, but most companies are not prepared for the tsunami wave that's coming in. And the IT investment that they would need to make to really get in front of all of it um, is really high. So I think it goes back to the military example I was giving before was that, you know, at a certain point, you just have to approach it differently going, okay, I can't do this doing traditional ways. I have to think about something different about how I'm not going to stop the tsunami from coming in, but I'm going to be able to respond and react to it differently. You know, and I'm not an expert in this, so I won't try to <laughs> say like setting up breaker walls or something, but it's, it's don't just say, you know, you sit there and wait for it to come in at you. Take those proactive defenses and, and take the time to understand, well, if it did hit my, you know, area, how it would hit, why it would hit here, and then then understand where those weaknesses are and fix them. So it's the same thing in, in security is you can't fix it all. So you choose the places that you need to. And, and you've got to remember that the in-network detection is, is a really critical point of it. And if you do nothing else, protect your credentials and, and, and entitlements and, and active directory. I mean, compromise domain control it's a game over situation. You just don't want to do that. Um, we worked with a retail organization a couple of years ago. It took them a year to rebuild their Active Directory environment. Mm. It took them a year. I mean, and that's a lot of disruption. Yeah, it certainly is. Carolyn, I want to thank you for joining us today on IT Visionaries. But before you go, it is time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Carolyn, this is where we ask you questions outside the world of work. So our audience can get to know you a little better. Are you ready? Sure. Rock and roll. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Listen, so you are a CMO. That means you should be into creative. I'd love to hear from you. What, who is, or what is your favorite piece of art for entertainment? It can be a show. It can be a movie, a book. Tell me something you love in entertainment. Ah, in entertainment. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like so funny. My life has been so consumed with like other things. I'm like, I don't even think I've turned on the TV or... <laughs> <laughs> anything. In- Don't tell me you read security blogs for entertainment. <laughs> oh my gosh. I think I had to say, I kind of do. Um, you know, I, I, I do read all of that. Gosh, I'm trying to think about, um, yeah, about what, I, what other things I, uh, I've, I've been watching or are doing, you know, I'll, I will show the one thing it's not, I guess I, so Grey's Anatomy, my, my 13 year old daughter just recently told me she thinks she wants to be a surgeon. And so, um, so we've been watching some Grey's Anatomy. I, I know, don't judge me. I'm not judging you. <laughs> it's, it's got a little flair of other things in there as well, but it's, uh, but I guess that's been one of the things that we've been kind of doing as a family to, to just, uh, <laughs> you know, kind of build our, our generation <laughs> of the future. And I'm, I'm glad she's at least found something that's, uh, that's interesting. So I'm going to go with that and, and admit yeah. I'm a bit of a workaholic. So. Listen, I don't care what anyone, I don't care what anyone says about Grey's Anatomy. It's been running for a really long time. So they, they must have something, right? You know, they, they have to do something, right? I think it's, I was going to say 13 seasons. No. <laughs> now we got to know what you do for fun. Cause you don't watch, it doesn't sound like you watch too much television. doesn't sound like you listen to too much, you know, like you seem like very focused on work. So what do you do for fun to cut loose? Yeah, no. So I, 
I am an outdoor and everything person. So I, um, I love, uh, you know, the, the skiing and I'm just like crying right now as I'm watching the fires around Sierra at Tahoe and Kirkwood and, and pray for those people down in South Lake Tahoe and other parts that it's, it's been, um, it's been very brutal. Um, we're about 30 miles away here and it's, it's just been really, um, tragic watching everything happen there. So big ski buffs buff both, um, snow and water and, um, love anything outdoors. And that's, uh, generally where I, I will spend my, my free time doing, doing things like that. That's awesome. Listen, we got your Twitter profile pulled up as well. And you got this sick avatar with these nice shades on. <laughs> All right, you look you look great. If you had to recommend your essential outdoor piece of gear, what would you tell someone they need to get? So I want let's imagine I want to enjoy the outdoors. I'm an indoor person, never really done it before. What's the piece of gear you think that you would recommend? Oh, a good water bottle. <laughs> Gotta have a good water bottle. <laughs> Gotta have a good water bottle. Oh my gosh. Yeah, there's nothing worse than going out and having that thing leak or you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, perfect, perfect. I know this sounds strange, but a perfect, uh, perfect water bottle is uh, is my go to everywhere. <laughs> yeah, which 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 one do you recommend? Uh, I like the Hydro Flasks. Um, Yeti makes good stuff. A little heavy to be carrying, but um, sometimes, but there keeps it nice and and ice cool. So um, so love those. You know, love those things. And if you want to go something lighter, the Columbia stuff has some. Uh, nice, you know, kind of just plastic lightweight stuff to carry around. Um, and I'm sure there's a bunch more that I'm missing, but there's, uh, those are kind of what, what's in my cabinet. <laughs> Listen, I pre- we, we appreciate the tips. I can't tell you, by the way, we're definitely breaking stereotypes at IT Visionaries. Our last wave of guests, they're all outdoors people. It's pretty fascinating. You would assume that people that are in tech fields are all typical, you know, the stereotype would be they're going to be behind a computer, indoor people, they like to game. And we've had some of those for sure, but like, now we got outdoors people, we got downhill mountain bikers, we have surfers, we have ice. Uh, our last guest did, uh, he climbed, fro- I don't even know what to call it, frozen waterfalls, basically. He specifically wow. looks for frozen waterfalls to climb up them, which I thought was pretty dangerous. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever th- done a frozen waterfall, but I will say that that I'm, you know, on your little niche things, I've got, uh, you know, scuba diving, you know, I'm a little bit inland now, but that was my my big, big passion and thing. Um, before. So the warmer the water, the better, but I've done a lot of cold water stuff too. <laughs> well, Carolyn, I, th- I appreciate you joining us today on the show. Thanks for sharing all the things that you're doing at Ativo. Thanks for sharing your perspective on what's happening in security, including Active Directory security inside the network security. It was fun. Listen, I understand that you like, you know, reading security blogs, totally fine, right? I would do, I do, I do work for fun as well. And it was awesome sharing your hobbies, skiing, snow, water. Sounds like you you enjoy the outdoors. Hey, listen, water bottle can't recommend enough. I don't, uh, I don't leave, I don't go on a trip without one either. So yeah, (laughs) anyone looking to get outside, get yourself a water bottle. (laughs) Thanks for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. 